0: Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast, presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster, as well as Superbook Sports. J.J. Jerez here, Araf Dean here to cover all things Avalanche, and once again, we have one game to talk about, and it, it's going to give us a lot to talk about, right? The Avalanche kind of just keep giving and giving in that sense, and giving us things to discuss. Um, this time, not so fortunate. They didn't get to walk away with a win as they lose to the St. Louis Blues 3-2 to two last night, um, and ending their four-game win streak, so... Uh, kind of sending them on the road on a sour note and just wasn't wasn't the prettiest of endings, was it, Arif?
1: No, definitely wasn't. They, I mean, it was an exciting ending, and it kind of felt like, oh, boy, this is going to be a good one. But the Avalanche had a power play, then it became a two-man advantage, then it became the rarefied thing that is the three-man advantage, and they were unable to get that goal. But disappointing ending, but all-around fun, entertaining hockey game.
0: Yeah, I mean it took them a while to get going, but that's just a testament to, you know, I guess how maybe ready both of these teams were. You know, St. Louis has been waiting for for that moment since last spring, right? And uh you kind of felt it. It was just a good back and forth hockey, not not many goals, not many not either team willing to bend and then you finally saw some uh action there in the second period but yeah really the six on three well what started as a five on three turning to a six on three and ultimately not being able to score a goal really has to be the focus of the conversation because not only do you expect to score that when you're you know cheering for a hockey team or on a hockey team you have a three-man advantage it should be significant enough to at least bury one Um, but I think the real conversation and my thought I guess gets steered this direction and that is Simply comparing to last year, right? I can't help but think that the team of last year absolutely 100% scores on a 6-on-3. Not only that, they had that little element of magic to them where they were able to convert on those kind of of end-of-the-game, last-second, buzzer-beater comeback stories, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, there's a reason why that team last year won 72 games out of 102, Uh, When you combine the playoffs in the regular season, they were 72 and 30. I know there's some OTLs in there, but there's a reason why that team was that good. They had an element of magic pretty much going all season. There weren't a lot of games that they lost that they should have won. You know, they happened here and there, but, you know, let's think back to January and, you know, the the comeback victory over the Maple Leafs, and then it was the Bruins uh, a couple weeks later with the, the Hall, the Taylor Hall and Nathan McKinnon. I don't even want to call it a hit, but the collision they had that just, like, had Nathan McKinnon bloodied and the Avalanche were down three goals, and they came back in that game as well. So they had that magic, but, I mean, look, this is what we've been talking about for, for a month now. They, they had a lot more pieces then, and the Avalanche have fewer pieces now and a ton of injuries as well. So they're relying on their top stars and um, you know the top guys were the guys on the ice late in the game yesterday but you know if the avalanche were a little bit healthier not that i'm saying that these are the reason why they didn't score but newhook and rodriguez wouldn't have been on the ice it would have been tuchskin and landeskog so they're still missing pieces it's still affecting their everyday game but they definitely you know it's no excuse about yesterday they had their chances they had their opportunities and they just couldn't find that magic that you're talking about to get it done
0: Oh, and Six on three is kind of rare, right? Just because it, it tends to only happen at the end of a game. You often see five on threes. Not only that, you you often see five on threes fail, and it, it gets frustrating. Um, sometimes I cut a bit of slack because often power plays are more practiced at five on four, right? Um, so when you throw in a five on three, it kind of just adds a different element of chaos. Um, but that's no excuse, right? You, you expect to have... Uh, at least, uh, yeah, I mean, a goal when there's that much of a of a disadvantage. But at the same time, you just have to understand that that's hockey. Sometimes it just doesn't go in. There's a goalie in net for a reason, and and it it's just not meant to be. Sometimes I think if the Avalanche had two, three more chances at six on three, with the you they're know, gonna score. They're, yeah, they're gonna, they're, they're gonna convert. Yeah. So it's just you know, I just the way it shook out.
1: Look, it's it was one of those nights, and that's hockey, and it's hockey, and sometimes you're not going to get it. All of these sayings that we're saying are exactly what the guys were saying post game. We talked to Kale McCarr, uh, we talked to uh, Jared Bednar. There was one more in there. I'm forgetting who else, Uh, but they all said pretty much the same thing. Like, that's ultimately the way they felt. Like, look, did the Avalanche pass the puck around a lot? Yes. Uh, Were there a couple opportunities there to shoot where they didn't shoot? Specifically, there was one with Evan Rodriguez. Yes, there was. I think McKinnon and McCarr even had an extra pass in there. But they got their looks. They missed the net on a few of them. Uh, Nathan McKinnon missed the net twice. Kale McCarr missed the net once. Uh, There was also an opportunity where Jordan Binnington, this is before the goalie was pulled. So it was a five-on-three. O'Reilly's battling up against the half wall. And gets beaten out by the Avalanche player. And I forget which player it was. And now that Avalanche player digs the puck out of the net. Now it's suddenly a five-on-two pass to kill. Macar from the left circle. One-timer. Jordan Binnington goes left to right, makes the save, stops the stop. You know, gets stops the play, makes gets a stoppage. So uh, covers the puck. So like it was a very, it was it was a successful penalty kill for the Blues. They straight up weathered the storm. Uh, I think if you were. You know, on the other side of this and listening to a St. Louis Blues podcast, they would talk, be talking about how Jordan Binnington uh, saved the day, which he did there late. You know, the Avalanche had 46 shots and, and couldn't get that third one by him. Um, and on that power play, you know, once it was six on three, it did feel like the Avalanche kind of had a lot of chaos going on there. A few too many guys, uh, something you don't practice often, but they still moved the puck well. They had the seams. They had the looks. They just were missing the net. And then with 12 seconds left, the puck is with McKinnon at the half wall. And you know in 12 seconds of a six-on-three, you have a ton of time to do a lot of things. And it bobbles and bounces over his stick right to center ice, across the blue line, ultimately ending the game. So that's hockey. Sometimes the puck doesn't bounce your way. There's a goalie there for a reason. All of those reasons are why the Avalanche could not get that third goal yesterday.
0: Yeah, credit where credit is due. I think Jordan Binnington played a pretty solid game, and yeah, that that's a lot of saves. Over forty saves at a night. I mean, that's a heavy workload. So you know, hats off to him. And it's just a a victory, right? The ebbs and flows of a season. Sometimes you're gonna win. I mean, every team wants to come in and and take a shot at the champ, and that's just the way it shakes out. I mean, you can credit the the moms being in the crowd if you like, mm-hmm. or you can just simply cool. credit the uh, the the losing streak that they were recently digging themselves out of right maybe they're just on a little uptick here and again just the ebbs and flows of the season nothing to get too riled up about just the fact that it was it was a decent game considering how shorthanded the avalanche really are a- as a whole you know i th- i think about jordan bennington probably getting super pumped up for this game you know rem- reminding himself of what happened last year then he gets on the ice last night and he sees the team in front of him that he's playing against he's like who, who are these guys this is who a- are these guys this is the team i wanted God. revenge against
1: and then top line jumps out, and McKinnon and Renton and Lekkanen and Makar, and he's like, yeah, and, and Taves, and he's like, all right, I remember these guys. Then they go for a line change, and he's like, "Who? what? Rodriguez, Cout and Dryden Hunt? Who the hell are these guys? <laughs>
0: um, I think another notable from yesterday, and I guess just the co- conversation we've been having since training camp, right, and that's Alex Newhook. Um, I Got demoted in-game, essentially, just not having – uh, enough of a performance to impress Jared Bednar to where he's getting demoted right there in the middle of play. So, um, your thoughts on Alex Newhook? Would you pick up after uh, in in the post game from Jared Bednar and and yeah, go from there?
1: Yeah, it's exactly what I just uh, mentioned with that second line being Rodriguez, Martin, Kout, and Dryden Hunt. I didn't say Alex Newhook for a reason, and it's because in the middle of the game you saw Dryden Hunt start to take shifts. So. I asked Jared about Dryden, you know, getting that opportunity, and he said it was it was probably the best game he's seen him play with the Avalanche. He was skating, he was generating, and he left it at that. And he said, you know, he was playing well enough to to play higher in the lineup, and others were not playing as well. So then, obviously, the follow up questions came from others in the press box. Is that referring to Alex Newhook? Yes, absolutely, it is. Um, what is it about his game that caused him to get demoted? And Jared first said. He's not playing up to the standard that we have set for him or that I have set for him, which is understandable. And then he went on to say something else where he said, you're not going to generate offense in this league if you're not skating. And that's kind of when it becomes more of a – there's something wrong with – I don't want to say the effort, but the execution of Alex Newhook's game. Something is off, and Jared's not happy with it because, look – When you go back to training camp and you go back to the fact that this conversation has been the entire season so far, Jared openly said we're going to give this guy pretty much through to the trade deadline a very long leash to get an opportunity to get a look. He also did mention, you know, at times if we need to take him off of that line, we will. But I think the biggest thing right now is the Alex Newhook that a season ago had 33 points in 71 games and was producing at that level we're not even seeing that level of play this year and that's the problem is the new hook of last year as a second line center probably wouldn't have been enough but could be a good stopgap we're at the trade deadline it makes you think a little bit if you want to get another guy or not but he seems to have taken a step back into that you know dreadful sophomore slump that we always talk about and that's what the big issue is right now with Alex Newhook he's just not even playing up to the level of last year let alone having that you know that that jump in his game that we were talking about during the summer when I kept talking about like oh Tyler Sagan's rookie year was 11 goals 11 assists won the cup and then came in the next year with 60 something points that's just not happening with Newhook
0: so from your standpoint and from what you're gathering from the team, do you think it's more of a defensive issue or an offensive issue? Because I feel like offensive issues are fixable, right? I think it's just a, a little bit of get, finding a way to get him going, maybe switch up his line mates a little bit, try to get some chemistry with other people. Um, if it's defensive issues, you know, I think there's deeper-rooted problems there. You know, that that's where you get into effort. That's where you get into just knowing the structure, knowing the, uh, the game plan. So I guess where do you feel Jared Bednar's most frustrated with with Alex Newhook right now.
1: Honestly, I think it's everything. Like simply put and I know that's a that's a very easy answer, but it's it's the right answer because right now Newhook is at an age and at a level in his career and at a place in his career, I should say, where he's not the full well-rounded player he will be later on. He's still kind of learning the ropes or learning the ropes of a lot of the things that you and I that you just mentioned in terms of the defensive side of the game, learning the structure and all that. He's a young upstart offensively gifted forward that will eventually hopefully you know you would hope that his his uh, development goes this way he will become a more well-rounded player well the problem is right now he's not producing that offense he still isn't up to speed with that defensive side of the game so he's ultimately bringing pretty much nothing to the table as 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 messed up as that sounds that's what it is he played 13 minutes and 13 seconds yesterday but he only played 13 shifts and I don't know why with Alex Newhook, his shift averages are always up in the one minute mark. Is it because he's getting hemmed in his own zone? Like Kale McCarr has got a 102 average per shift, but Kale McCarr was out there for two, three minute long shifts at the end of the game and things like that. And also it's friggin Kale McCarr. But Alex Newhook, his shift length at one minute and one second says to me that he's getting hemmed in his zone. And I, I can't pinpoint for sure if that's the case, but you have another guy in Dryden Hunt, 14 shifts, only 9 minutes and 34 seconds. So his shift length was 20 seconds less than what Newhook had. He played 2.5 minutes on the power play. You know, a lot of that in the last minute of the game when he was the extra attacker. So the last 57 seconds is, is subtracted from that. Doesn't play much shorthanded. Only 10 and a half minutes at even strength, which is pretty much... Almost three minutes less than what you saw out of Rodriguez. Almost two and a half minutes less than what you had at Cagliano. Four minutes less than Comfer, uh, Right on par with Martin Kaut. So like that should kind of tell you what the Avalanche feel about him right now. Martin Cow and Alex Newhook, where they were in training camp, the expectations for them coming into the season, and the fact that Martin Kaut isn't really you know blowing the roof off the building with with point production and goals every night that should tell you all you need to know about new hooks development right now is that he should be miles ahead of Kout, and that's where he's ranked right now below guys like Comfer and cogliano
0: i think you made a lot of good points there and yeah i think a, a, a lot of the fan base had given up on martin Kout, right and and so that tells you exactly where the two are comparatively where the, versus where they were a month ago and just kind of working yourself out of out of a hole but yeah i think a lot of us here dryden hunt as New Hook's replacement. And, you know, he's not exactly the most well known guy. If you're not a super hockey nerd, maybe you never heard of him before. So, um, you know, or I mean, before he came to the Avalanche, that is. But he, he's not just a nobody, right? He's got almost 200 NHL games, he's got a lot of experience. So it's not like New Hook's getting passed up from a usual AHLer here. And I think maybe that's exactly just what new hooks needs. He needs to be placed on the third, maybe fourth line for a little bit, take a deep breath, not have so much pressure on his shoulders and just allow him to maybe perform with a little bit less minutes on his plate. That, that might just be what he needs. And then maybe he can take that step forward again later, but it seems like for now, um, this demotion might need to be permanent.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, right now, I mean, if you ask me, the last week or two since Nachushkin's injury, he already has been on the third line because Logan O'Connor, Andrew Cogliano, and JT Confort have pretty much been playing more than, than Kaut, Rodriguez, and Newhook. Such and a great strength. line,
0: too. Sorry yeah, to it's such you. an awesome
1: line. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, because that's—you that's, uh, that's you and I talked about it yesterday. Like, Comfort between Cogliano and O'Connor, the reason why that line works so well is because Comfort is just replacing Darren Helm from that lovable fourth line that they had in the playoff run last year. So there's just, he was already pretty much playing on the third line as soon as Nachushkin went down. And now where do you put him? Because you're not breaking up the comfort unit. If he's not playing with Rodriguez and Cout. then where are you playing this guy right now? Something's off about Alex Newhook. And I know we're only a month into the season and it's, you know, the Avalanche are eight, five and one. So they've only played 14 games. I'm not by any means writing him off right now, but given the way that the injuries have shaken out with this team, the fact that you have Martin Kaut on what you would call your second line and Evan Rodriguez is friggin' centering that line and uh, Cagliano and O'Connor are both third liners slash second liners because Helm is injured and, and like three other guys are injured, so they're no longer considered the fourth line. They're more of a top nine line right now. Ben Myers is nowhere to be seen right now. I think he's in the AHL and hurt right now. I believe he's been hurt for a few weeks now. Where do you play Newhook? Like, there's just... Are you going to put him on the top line? No. You're not going to break up that line right now. So, like, what what do you do to fix this right now, given these injuries? Like, he needs guys like Landeskog and Nachushkin if he wants to break out of this. Or... Maybe Rodriguez has earned the opportunity to play with guys like Landis Gog and chushkin but hey, at least that means that Newhook can play with more well-rounded players like JT Comfer and, uh, I don't know, someone like Logan O'Connor on the third line. Like, There's just not a lot of options to get this guy going other than he looking at himself in the mirror and kind of figuring this out because, again— he did something last year with his production and his game that he's been unable to do this year. So it's not like I'm asking for a lot. It's just kind of trying to get him back to figuring out his game. It's kind of a two-edged sword when it
0: comes to the injuries, right? It's because of all these injuries that he's getting more of a leash because they need him. They don't really have many replacement options, but it's also these injuries that's placing more pressure on him, giving him a bigger role in um, and- everybody demanding more out of him right now so um yeah we'll see how that develops but it's been a conversation this entire season so far so um you know hopefully it doesn't get to the point of he gets demoted so far he's in loveland for a few games but hey if that's what he needs to wake up that might just be what he needs
1: yeah i mean look it's it happened last year and and he's still young he's still a sophomore in the nhl i know he played a little bit in 2021 there late in the season but He's still a sophomore in this league, and, and if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Probably not until the injuries are,
0: are a little more stable. Yeah,
1: though. yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, you already have right now Jason Magnus playing seven fifteen, and let's go back to that Sampo Ranta conversation we had the other day. Not to dig too deep into it, but yesterday he played 5 minutes and 21 seconds. So again, I don't think this team believes in Sampo Ranta as anything more than a plug-and-play guy because we're 5 deep in our depth chart because of injuries
0: we'll get more into that in a second but first guys we gotta take a break for superbook sports and you know they're excited for all the fall sports going on right now i mean a lot of stuff a lot of action a lot of fun you even got college basketball in full swing now you got college football the world cup hockey of course and nba and nfl so Go to Superbook Sports because they are bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands, and now they'll match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if the bet wins or loses. So you don't have to be at the stadium this fall to enjoy all those amazing sports. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. I'm so happy that we are technically just a, a a local podcast, right? We only really cover Colorado, especially as far as our sponsorships go because I was listening to uh, a more of a national podcast recently where they had a betting sponsor and they had to go through a ton of different gambling problem call this number. Like they had like four oh, yeah, or five. yeah, it's
1: like... Uh, if you're in Michigan, Ohio, this, 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 call this number. <laughs> yeah, this, this, is exactly. call the gambling hotline. <laughs> and like the guy just goes, <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, I need to forward through this. <laughs> like it's, it gets a little out of hand there. Uh,
0: hopefully ours is a little more tolerable. People aren't just like skip, skip, skip. Um, but who knows? That's the power of podcasting. Um, but yeah, you, you talked about Sampo Ranta a little bit, and uh, the Avalanche did call up Anton Bleed today. So uh, what do you read into that? I know there's still some cap management going on. They did call... Uh, reassign a few other guys to Loveland as well. But do you see a simple switch for Ranta and Bleed here?
1: I think so. I mean, that that one would make the most sense. Having Megna Bleed, and I I guess Dryden Hunt or Alex Newhook, we'll see. Um, Having that as your fourth line makes a little bit more sense. Like, look, Sampo Ranta playing five minutes and 21 seconds isn't going to do jack for you. Absolutely not. It's the same thing with Martin Kaut. Like if the Avalanche had a healthy Nachushkin and Landeskog, Martin Kaut wouldn't be doing anything right now. He would be playing on the fourth line with Megna and whoever uh, and Cogliano or something playing five or six or seven minutes. And at that point, I would say, you know what? Anton Bleed is is better suited for that type of role. So um, again, Bleed similar to Ben Myers, who again is hurt right now, which is why he hasn't been called up. I would assume he would have been called up by now if he was healthy, Uh, but Anton Bleed Ben Myers, the third guy being Lucas Sedlak, who's now gone off of the waiver wire. Uh, those are the guys that early in the season just weren't doing what you had thought and the expectation for them wasn't being met from early in the season that they need to get another go. So here's the second chance for Anton Bleed to prove that he could be similar to what Nico Sturm or Nicholas Obey-Kubel were last year. Whenever Ben Myers gets healthy, you hope that he'll get that opportunity to come in and be a point producer, a 30-35 point guy. And... um Sampo Ranta, they just they don't believe in him. I, I I can't say much about him because it reminds me of pretty much every conversation we've had about Martin Kelp before training camp this year. It's just you know things could turn around in the future for for Sampo, but right now on this team, this many injuries, and he's playing five minutes and twenty one seconds, and Alex Newhook gets demoted and it's Dryden Hunt getting the the the, the promotion. It's not Sampo Ranta. So i uh, I just I don't see a use for him in the lineup right now with this team. I, I see that call up and I kind of just see the Avalanche like man we
0: got to do something let's just give another guy a shot even though he's not doing amazing I mean Anton Bleed in twelve games with the Eagles so far he's got uh, four goals and no assists so um, yeah. nothing that's you know gonna throw you back in your seat and say wow we need to call this guy up but I think they're just they're just looking for answers they're looking for options they're they're trying different things because at this point that's all they really can do just try to figure out how to keep getting wins one by one and um, you know wait. The, till the day that you're a little bit more healthy.
1: Yeah, I mean, and look, they signed this guy for a reason. There's obviously a part of his game that they like. It's it's wild to me that he's only played one game. It feels like he's been in for a little bit more than that. I think it's just because we've talked about him so much. But they signed him for a reason. They didn't sign him to be a point producer. They signed him to be, again, uh, I remember asking Jared Bednar back before the season started, do you see Anton Bleed and Lucas Sedlak as kind of like those direct replacements to Nico Sturm and Nicolas Abe Kubel? And he straight up said, yeah, like that was, you know, kind of the idea behind signing these guys. So with Anton Bleed, it's, it's hard to say because this is a guy that you expect probably could kill some penalties, but also in his one game, he played six minutes and three seconds, all at even strength. Uh, in a game that went to overtime, the one against the Jets. So just not a lot of ice time for that guy. Um, So whatever it is that they saw in him, they're going to give it another look and and see if he can bring, I I guess, an edge to the lineup playing on that fourth line, the the, the irrelevant line. It's just whatever he does on that line will help you a little bit more than Sampo because Sampo is just not suited to be a fourth line player. He's a guy that if he's not getting minutes and an opportunity like Martin is right now, he just shouldn't be playing on the in the in the NHL right now.
0: I think all he's got to do to make Jared Bednar happy right now is bring effort, bring a physical side of the game, right? So f- forecheck hard and make sure you're getting bodies on people, and just defensively responsible, which doesn't take too much effort. You kind of just have to play it safe and, and stay at home on that end of the of the ice. So um, I don't think his, you know, uh, uh, unlike Newhook, I don't think his responsibility level is too high. He's just going to get a handful no. of minutes and just needs to, uh, you know, play him safe.
1: Yeah, right now with that fourth line all all is you know all that the Avalanche want from them is pretty much what you just said. Like they want them to be able to they want to be able to roll that Jared wants to be able to roll that fourth line to come out and play a shift here and a shift there to give the top guys a rest. And uh when we blow it down, or when we call for a line change and we want to get the top line out there Get your ass to the bench as soon as you can so we can get McKinnon, Ranton, and out there and Evan Rodriguez and all these other guys to go out and produce like they have been, like just at a, an exceptional rate. Holy crap, Miko Ranton and Nathan McKinnon and Kel McCarr, like they've been unbelievable. But also, it's also when you're the fourth line, you're on the ice, just don't let in a goal so that the top guys can score and win us a game. And, and that's ultimately all you can have as an expectation from, from the bottom line right now. Well,
0: we'll see what he does heading into Carolina. Of course, the Avalanche have a nice little two day break before heading to Carolina on Thursday. Um, of course, we just saw Carolina last week. So I, I think, you know, it's a bit of a challenge playing a team that close together, especially, you know, you tend to see splits there, right? When you play a team yeah. that close together, one team wins, the other one wins the next one. So um, I guess what are you expecting in Carolina? Do you expect a, a, a similar game? And. Uh, yeah, uh, that's where
1: I'm at. Uh, I think it'll be a similar game. It'll be a high-scoring or high-flying game in uh, in a sense. Um, but pretty much what you just said, it's, it's that. It's usually the team that loses is the one making the adjustments. So you know Carolina is going to come out with a better game plan than they did in a game where, I mean, like, look, the Avalanche just played the Preds, the Blues, and the Hurricanes. And the one game that you expected to be the toughest game was the one game that was the easiest game of the three, so uh, Carolina will be a lot better. Can the Avalanche win it? Yes, absolutely, because Miko Rantanen, Nathan McKinnon, and Kale McCarr are scoring at ridiculous rates. Uh, I believe the number for Miko and Nate is they've combined for 30 points over the last six games, so they're averaging 15 each, just nonchalantly, like just incredible numbers. Uh, Miko's third in the NHL in points right now behind the Edmonton duo. Nathan McKinnon is tied for fourth. A point behind him they're at 25 and 24 so with those guys on the ice with those guys on this team there's never an opportunity where you can't expect the avalanche to win a game no matter how much their depth is depleted right now but it'll it'll be a lot tougher than it was at ball arena for sure
0: yeah i agree i mean i think even jared bednar kind of expected carolina to come out a little bit better than they did that night right i mean he was talking about how they have four really good lines to throw at you while the avalanche are kind of playing with one right now. So um, I, that one line is doing amazing like you're, like you're talking about. And fortunately for the Avalanche Carolina tends to be pretty penalized. So uh, there will be some opportunities on the power play to convert as they were, were able to still do against St. Louis. So the power play still yeah. operating at a, at a good clip, hopefully um, still buzzing here come Thursday night and, and they take advantage.
1: Yeah. I mean, it would have been nice for them to have a second one in that game uh, and go two for five and send it to overtime. But you know, Sometimes it doesn't bounce your way. The Avalanche are still thirty-seven percent on the PP, so this should be a fun one in Carolina. Um,
0: and uh, again, we talked about the moms being on the trip for St. Louis yeah. last night. That that's something we haven't seen in a few years, right? I mean, th- yeah, the, the parents' trips
1: are back. That's exciting. It's it's so nice to have that back. The Blues played, you know, in Denver on Monday night. They play in Chicago Wednesday night, and I know the moms are going to be obviously making that part of the trip as well uh so exciting to see that back i know the avalanche will probably have things like that coming up um i know we said it last season but even more so this season it feels like a real normal year again i don't want to knock on wood into the microphone but knock on wood if you're anywhere else other than in front of a microphone because last year we had a COVID pause in december as long as we don't have that this year which i don't sense we will we're back to normal
0: is that unique to hockey? I don't feel, you know, I, I, I
1: kind of only follow hockey as uh, much as, and you know. I don't, I don't know. Um, I can't say. I feel like the NBA has done things like that. I, like, vaguely remember reading about things like that from the NBA as well. So I doubt it's a strictly hockey thing, but it's, it's you know, whatever league started it, I know other leagues right away were like, oh, shit, that's a good idea. Let's copy that.
0: And then another little exciting exciting tidbit, at least I'm excited for it, next Saturday, not this upcoming one, but the one after Thanksgiving will be our first look at the reverse retros um, yep. against the Dallas Stars. So that'll be a fun one.
1: Yeah, that'll be cool. So uh, white jerseys at home, which will be cool, and it'll be those fancy-looking ones. I'm just excited to see what they look like in full gear. What is the color of the pants, the breezers, whatever you want to call them? What is the color of the socks? Uh, The helmet, just the full look is what I'm excited to see. Yeah,
0: you're seeing them slowly trickle out across the league, and I think everyone's pleasantly surprised by all of them.
1: Oh, and I lost
0: Arif. I guess that's a good place to stop. Our internet disconnected. So right on. Well, that will do it for tonight's edition of the podcast. Uh, Thanks so much for hanging out with us tonight. We'll be back later on in the week and uh, probably after that Carolina game. So uh, as always, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless that pretty little heart of yours. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you.